Today, Rodney will preach on Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and it says this, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning, church. Thanks for being here with us today. I know that uh, you know, a lot of folks have a lot of different things uh, going on this week with the holidays and are on the road and such, but I appreciate you uh, being here and us getting to be together as we start this Advent season. I did want to add just one thing to the announcements real quick. Uh, mark your calendars for December 22nd. Uh, that will be a Sunday, and on that Sunday, uh, we are going to conclude our Advent series, but we're also going to have a special service that Sunday night. Um, so that's going to be here. It's We're calling that time uh, Promise and Praise, and it's going to be kind of like a Christmas Eve service, only it's going to be the Sunday before Christmas. We're going to come together that night and just sing hymns and songs to Jesus. Uh, our kids are going to do their little program that night, and then we'll end that night with some cookies and cocoa. So if you're going to be in town uh, the night of December 22nd, make plans to be with us, and it's a great time to invite friends and family, and, and we want to make that just a tradition uh, that uh, that is a good one. So keep that in mind, mark your calendars. Today we're going to be starting uh, our series um, on called The Promise of God, talking about ult- the ultimate promise of God that is Jesus. And today we're going to start by looking at the promised king. As we, to, as we acknowledge and have acknowledged, today marks the beginning of Advent. This is a season in the liturgical calendar that starts every year on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. December will surely go quickly and all of us will have much to do. But we want to recognize Advent and take this time in hopes that God might slow us down and turn our gaze to him in the midst of all the other things that vie for our affections. Christmas is far more than parties and gifts and holiday music. Its meaning is far more profound than the world understands. And in this season, we acknowledge and celebrate the truth that the king of heaven exchanged his throne for a cradle. That the creator entered into his own creation and that the giver became the gift. In the weeks to come, we will surely celebrate the good news that he came. But in Advent, we also recognize the good news that he is coming. And this will be our focus today as we discuss the promised king that is going to come. I want to pray for our time and then I will give a quick disclaimer. Father, thank you uh, for uh, just this this morning and uh, the time to be here together. Lord, thank you for the good news that you have come. Lord, we celebrate that good news. We sing about that good news. But often, Lord, we we can lose sight of the implications that just as you came, you're going to come again. 
And this is true, and this is profound, and this has great implications for our lives and the way that we live. And Lord, I pray that today we might feel the weight of not only that you came, but that you are coming. Lord, would we uh, would, would that lead us to worship? Would that lead us to lay out lay down our lives before you, maybe more than we have before? Lord, guide our time this morning. Would you be glorified, and would you speak through your scripture? Amen. So that little cliffhanger about the disclaimer. This morning, I'm giving an eschatology disclaimer. So as we dive into Isaiah chapter 2, it became very clear to me early on, and as I was studying, that to to preach Isaiah 2 would be to uh, get uh, pretty open and honest about my own eschatological viewpoint. And if you don't know, eschatology means the study of the end times. So before I talk too much about that, I will acknowledge that as a millennial, I grew up in a season where end times discussion seemed to, at least the church that I was a part of, it seemed to dominate much of my early church experience. From having the Left Behind series crammed down my, my throat at an early age, to I felt like as a kid, I felt like any president our church didn't like surely was the Antichrist, or at least they highly suspected that it was possible. And so from a young age, I developed kind of this disdain for discussion about end times, and fearing what I had seen, I withdrew from everything end times related. Even as a young adult in youth ministry, I was that kid who would always say like, oh, you know, we know Jesus is coming, but all that other stuff, you know, I would just kind of totally write off any kind of discussion about end times. However, as I grew, I began to understand that my view, the way that I dealt with end times, was equally as harmful as the person who is crunching numbers in their computer trying to break the code and figure out when Jesus is coming back. Like, there's two ends of the spectrum, and they are both unhealthy. Acknowledging the second coming of Jesus without considering the implications and thinking deeply about that is like acknowledging election, but not wanting to really consider whether that has to do with with works or grace, not wanting to consider the depths of that. It's like acknowledging acknowledging the doctrine of the death of Christ but not wanting to consider the implications of that for my life or not wanting to think too much about what that accomplished. It's one thing to acknowledge something is true, but then we want to grow in our understanding of that thing. Even if we won't fully get it this side of heaven, we grow as we lean in. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.18. He tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory and And to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So Peter acknowledges, like, as we grow in Jesus and are secure in his love for us, we want to lean into and grow in our knowledge and understanding of him. And that includes him coming back again. Pretending that we can know when Jesus will return is silly foolishness. But what we believe about what will happen when he returns is significant and is worthy of our thought. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to start off in Isaiah chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to be sharing uh, this text, preaching this text, from my viewpoint, which is a historic premillennial viewpoint. Um, Now, I say that. I'm going to explain what that means. I'm also going to acknowledge that there are many smarter than me whose books fill my shelves who hold different points of view 
on the end times. Um, I have been greatly influenced by and would fall in the camp of, of uh, a lot of early church fathers, um, some of John's early disciples, and then modern day, you know, men like John Piper or Wayne Grudem would hold to this view. But at the same time, there are many great minds, great many brilliant uh, people of old, like Jonathan Edwards, um, who, who held, and, and more modern day, like R.C. Sproul, who held to a very different view on the millennium. So while I am I'm going to preach from what I believe this morning, this is something worth leaning into and developing your own thoughts and growing in your own knowledge and belief about what you think will happen when Christ returns. But the historic premillennial viewpoint is essentially this. I believe that after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, we entered into essentially the initial phase of the kingdom, that here and now we are paving the way for Christ's return and making much of him, and that one day he's going to come back. And before he comes back, I believe Scripture tells us there's going to like things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. And before Christ comes back, there's going to be a period that's described as great tribulation. Things on the earth will get worse than they are now, far worse, that nation will rage against nation. After this time, though Christ will return he will resurrect those who are his and I believe that for a literal millennium as Revelation tells us that Christ will rule here perfectly on the earth before he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and that before that happens at the end of the millennium there will be a great battle and Jesus will defeat Satan once and for all and so I'm, I tell you that this morning to tell you I'm going to share Isaiah 2 from that perspective as I believe that Isaiah is describing that millennium here in this text. He's describing King Jesus who is going to come and rule magnificently and perfectly. So Isaiah chapter 2 starts in verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amaz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So Isaiah is giving a prophecy specifically regarding Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem. If you go back and you read Isaiah 1, you'll see that Judah was very wicked overall. It was a wicked place, and Jerusalem was a fairly fragile city in the time of Isaiah. It could be described as both marginal and vulnerable. It was not the Jerusalem that would be, but it was this marginal, vulnerable city. The city was highly dependent on more powerful cities. Yet, in verse 2, Isaiah prophesies something significant, magnificent about Jerusalem. He says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. He uses this term in the latter days. While Jerusalem seems marginal, much like a baby in a manger would be after this. Isaiah is declaring that this would not always be the case for Jerusalem, that God has a special purpose for this city. In this context, the term latter days, I believe, seems to be referring to the time of the Messiah, a season in which Christ will return and rule over the earth. Now, I want to read to you this morning from Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, which I believe describes uh, this exact scene. Revelation 20, 1 through 6 says this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit, and he shut it, and he sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer 
until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beasts or its image and had not received its marks on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and they raised with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. I believe in Revelation, John is describing what Isaiah prophesied of here. That one day, Christ will come and he would bound Satan for a thousand years and he would come as a magnificent king and rule here on the earth. Isaiah prophesies of this season when Christ will take his proper seat as the ruler of all as King Jesus. And he describes in additional detail what this season would look like. In verse 3, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us his ways, and that we might walk in his paths. For out of Jacob shall go forth the law. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Essentially, Isaiah is prophesying that during the millennium, this humble city will be the capital of the government of the Messiah. That you, as we know, streams don't tend to flow uphill, but the mountain of the Lord will be significant and magnificent, and the nations will run to it, and Jesus will rule over all. And in verse 4, he shall judge between the nations, and he shall decide disputes for many peoples, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. The promise of Isaiah is that there will be a perfect king, a promised king. And he will come and he will rule perfectly. And they will not learn war anymore. That there will be a season where we don't even know what that means. He will rule with perfect justice. The psalmist speaks of this day, and he paints a picture of what will happen to those who oppose Christ. And that comes from Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, when it says this. I didn't ribbon this one, so you got to bear with me for half a second. It's not real. Rookie mistake. Here we go. Psalm chapter 2, 4 through 9. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, as saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. One day, the promised king will come. And when the promised king comes, there will no longer be acceptance of those who do not stand for him. That his way will go forward and that those who oppose him will be broken like a potter's clay. The people of the earth will cast aside their weapons. 
having no more use for them. Scripture tells us even finding new use for them. Like there's going to come a day where King Jesus rules magnificently and people are going to be on Pinterest typing in things like, creative decor for AK-47s. Like they're going to be trying to figure out new crafty things to do with the things that used to provide their security and defense because those, those things aren't even going to be needed anymore. Somebody's going to look at their sword and be like, well, I guess I could, I could till my garden with this. Like that day is going to come. Swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. As humans, we long for peace. We long for the end of war. We tire of all the resources that are required to protect and defend. But under Christ, under the promised king, these things will no longer be necessary. As humans, we tend to, we long, we long for a good, righteous king. Like it's why presidential elections cost so much and go on for so long. And we get so enamored by them. Not that they're not important. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that oftentimes they reflect our desire. for. We just want a good, righteous king. We don't want to settle in any way. We want that one who is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, whose morality is, is legitimate and real, who cares about the needs of the broken, who's going to right all wrongs. We long for that. There's a constant tension and frustration because we can't find that. But even our yearning for that is reflective of the truth that as God's people, we know that one day we will have that, that Jesus will be that. Alfred Barton, in his commentary, he says, Men yearn for peace, but they will not acknowledge the hopelessness of their own efforts to achieve it. It is only when the Lord goes forth from Jerusalem, after he himself is reigning over the nations, that lasting peace will come. Isaiah prophesies of this period where the righteous King Jesus reigns, and he, in verse 5, he says, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. After painting this picture of the glorious reign of Christ, Isaiah then challenges Judah, meaning the house of Jacob, to live under his reign right now. The disciples continue this plea, and we just finished 1 Peter, and in many ways, the point of 1 Peter was this continued plea to, reign, to, to live as a, under the reign of King Jesus here and now. That's kind of what the book's all about. That's the, the word that the disciples continue to plead with the church. A few weeks ago, we were in 1 Peter chapter 4, and in verse 7, you might remember, it said this. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter speaks there with an urgency. And like we talked about then, Peter knew that it wasn't immediate. He knew it wasn't in the next few days the temple of Jerusalem still stood. But Peter didn't know how long out. Would it have been in Peter's lifetime? Would it have been shortly after? Like, Peter doesn't know these things. Nobody knows the time or the hour. So Peter took a, to, presents this posture of urgency that let us walk in the light of the Lord is a reflective of that same call of Peter for be, be self-controlled and sober-minded, for the end of all things is at hand. That whether Christ returns next week or a thousand years from now, in light of eternity, the short little history that the earth has in the scope of eternity, like the end is at hand. There is an urgency to this that is, continues to be repeated by those who follow Jesus. Much like Peter 
Isaiah is pleading for God's people to live in accordance with the ways of the Lord because he is coming. Isaiah wants them to get this, like he is coming. Don't wait until he comes and demands, but live as a reflection, live under his ways here and now. We don't know the hour when the Lord will appear and take his rightful seat on the throne. Like, we don't know that. But the word that would fl- will flow forth from Jerusalem is the same word we have now. That Isaiah is saying, one day, the word of the Lord, the law, is going to flow forth from Jesus, and it's going to be submitted to, but we hold the word of God the, the standard by which, the guidance, like we hold the word of God here and now. Like we don't have to wait till then. That's, that's good news. Like we don't have to wait until Jesus is on his holy hill to live in accordance with his will. Like we get the blessing of doing that here and now, paving the way for the king that is to come. Let us walk in his ways now anticipating his return, living is a reflection of what will one day be because Christian, he is coming. Like that's the whole point of this season. We acknowledge the baby, but when you look at the manger and you acknowledge like Jesus came, remember, oh my God, he came. He, he promised a long period of time went by and then the promise was fulfilled. If you believe that, Would you be struck with the urgency that that will be true again? As they waited, we are waiting, and he will come again. And so much of what Peter spoke about in 1 Peter was, Christian, prepare yourself that he is coming. Prepare yourself for that day. Last night, I was out in my backyard in my little study shed, and I was kind of going over these notes. And it just got super windy last night, and uh, my little shed kind of moved a little bit and it was like getting super windy and I was just I was thinking about these things and praying and pondering on these things and it's kind of scary outside and, and moving and I just the, I was struck with the realization that one day the earth will move and the ground will tremble and it will be because the Lord is here and on that day his reign will be will begin here in this place and all will be different. And I don't want to be caught on that day as one who is surprised, but I want to be caught on that day as one who has been seeking to live as a reflection of his reign and leading my family to live as a reflection of Christ, ready for his return. I want my posture on that day to be, I knew it. I knew you were coming. Rooted, we knew you were coming. We said every year, we set aside a month to acknowledge your coming. We knew it. I don't want to be terrified, surprised at that day, but I want to live in a way that reflects this waiting, that we know this to be true. Isaiah says, walk in the light of the Lord. When we walk in the light of the Lord, it causes our lives to glorify God. We make much of King Jesus here and now, before it will one day be demanded. Yet we also We get to enjoy the blessings of Christ's reign right now. Your life doesn't have to be dark. It doesn't have to be void of Christ. We exemplify the kingdom when we live the ways of the kingdom here and now. That we know when we think about such a day, we know it'll be better. But we get to to follow that reign. We get to follow the, the, the perfect king right now. It can be better right now. 
We've been given that gift as his children. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this idea when he wrote, You know that if you were to go to Australia in a good sound ship, you would get there even if you were always to lie down in the hold among the luggage and the rats. But I should like to go in a first-class cabin. And I do not see why you and I, if we are going to heaven, should not go first class. So Spurgeon acknowledges like God's people will be restored. He will rescue them. But many will get there kind of kicking and screaming in the, in the, the bottom of the ship when they could have experienced joy in, in Christ and in his ways. Like we living and as a, under the reign of Jesus here and now is for our good and leads us to a life of joy and, 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 and contentment in him as opposed to just continual discontentment and continual fighting and continue to striving after wind. Walking in the way of the Lord prepares us and those who follow after us for the difficulties that lie ahead. Peter warns of much suffering. And in Matthew 24, Jesus assures the disciples that before he comes, there will be a season of great tribulation, but we are to endure. This is found, uh, I want to read Matthew 24, 3 through 14. It says this. This is an encounter. This is Jesus sitting with the disciples as they begin to wonder about the last days. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Then this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then beginning in verse 37, which is where we're going to kind of end our, wrap up our time today, he gets a little more personal. He gives this warning to the disciples of what the last days are going to be like. And then in verses 30, we're going to look at verses 37 and 40 through 42, and we'll start with just 37 and 48. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. He compares this season of tribulation to the period before the flood. Well, we know from Genesis that the days of Noah were filled with violence and, and demonic oppression, Christ himself points to an even greater sin. He notes that folks were just living life as normal. He, he, he shares these activities that don't sound bad, 
but that are obviously void of any kind of anticipation or, or, or vision of Christ. They were just doing normal things. They had grown content in the things of this world, and they were not anticipatory of Jesus himself until Noah entered the ark. In verse 39, And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus paints this picture. He says, In the days of Noah, all were, were warned about what would happen. I, we believe, we talked about in First Peter, tells us that the Spirit of Christ himself, I believe, preached to people in Noah's day, just telling them the truth of what would come. In the same way, many will hear the warnings, but will not be ready when Jesus returns. The king, the promised king, will return. It is a promise that will be fulfilled. And Jesus warns that many will not be ready, will be caught off guard, will have just been living life as normal, in no way anticipating, or lives no different. Like, they says, because of lawlessness, because of all the difficulties in the world, he says, like, love will begin to grow cold. Like, people will just become kind of numb to the truth of who Jesus is. That we, that the world doesn't understand the significance of Christmas, even though Christmas is about Jesus. Like, it's only here because of Jesus. Our very calendar is based around the truth that he really did come. The world changed because he came. And yet already, the world's kind of forgot about that and grown numb to that truth. And instead, we've turned Christmas into all these different things. Like, it's all about family togetherness and Black Friday and lights and all that stuff. But we, we forget No, like Christmas is here because he did come and he will come again. But many will forget. Many will not be ready. Many will be surprised. And then in verse 40, he gives us both an eerie and a glorious example. He says in 40 and 41, Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. This is a peculiar verse, but it's also a glorious one for those who are in Christ. Because this uh, this exact circumstance is described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus is is saying this very thing, that Jesus will come and those who are his will, will go up to meet him and to greet him and to be with him from that day forward, despite what you might believe about the millennium. Maybe you believe, the, like me, that the millennium is to come. Maybe you believe that's the here and now. Either way, we can agree that Christ is going to come, and from that day forward, those who are raised up and are with him will be with him forever. That will not change. And it says like the, the, those who are dead and in Christ will be resurrected Okay, that they're already alive with Christ in spirit, but now they're going to put on flesh and going to be with him. And those who are already on the earth will join in as well. And we'll always be with him from that day forward. So verse 42, after Jesus gives this verse that surely left the disciples in a bit of, with their mouths open, a little bit. He says, therefore, stay awake. 
For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This Advent, we celebrate this Christmas season in a world that is broken. I feel like every day this week, I have heard police sirens outside my house. It's not usually like that, but man, I don't know what's going on this week. But I just hear these police sirens every day. Last week, we, we closed cross lines early for the Thanksgiving holiday. And those last few days, man, we're just packed to the gills, lines out the door because of just all the people who are in need. There's so much brokenness and, and misery and difficulty here in this world. We got how many, how many people we got putting their spouses in freezers in Joplin right now? I mean, it's out of control. What is happening here? But we can celebrate in the midst of this brokenness because we know this is not the end. In fact, our personal brokenness and our realization of the world's brokenness postures our heart rightly to yearn for a better day and to yearn for a better king. We yearn for justice and we can live justly knowing that the promised king is on the way. He's prepared to make all things right. We yearn for peace, and we can live peacefully in the midst of chaos, loving one another, loving our neighbor, knowing that the promised peacemaker is on the way. He's prepared to destroy his adversaries and to make peace amongst his people. We yearn for evil to be silenced, And we can stand firm in those things which are holy. And we can live differently, knowing that the promised Redeemer is on the way. And he's prepared to renew our broken flesh. We yearn for home. And we can live as a reflection of the kingdom here and now under the reign of King Jesus. Because the promised Messiah came. Not just that he's on the way, but he came. And that's what this season's all about. And he made us heirs of grace. That God so loved us that he sent Jesus. That he entered into creation to live a a perfect life. And to die a brutal death. So that there would no longer be condemnation for us. But everlasting joy in Christ. We yearn for home and one day we will be there. We will meet Jesus in the sky. And we will be with him forever. And all will be as it should be. Because he came. Don't dismiss those yearnings. Don't numb those yearnings. Don't bury those yearnings with other things, but embrace them. Would those yearnings grow stronger within you, so strong that you can't ignore them, but that they lead you to live differently? Stay awake. That's that's what staying awake is. It's acknowledging those yearnings, embracing them, and the Holy Spirit growing them in us. Jesus tells us, stay awake. For we don't know when, but we know he will come. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I just just echo our, our corporate prayer. Would you come quickly? God, we know you are you are you are good. And righteous and your promises are true. Or there are evidence. Your, your mark on this world, the mark of that little baby, is not one that can be debated. It's not one that, that we, can, we, can, we can push away, although our flesh tempts us to. God, we know you are faithful to fulfill your promises. 
and you will remain faithful. God, we pray that you would come quickly, but whether that be be the case or not, whether this be our lifetime or that of our children or, or beyond, God, would you empower us to live under your reign here and now that we might, we, we might get to experience a bit of that. That here, Lord, would rooted church be a, a place where we get to experience a taste of the perfect reign that will one day be here and now. God, would you make that so in us? Lord, would we submit all that we have to you? Lord, take away from us whatever you must. Whatever you must. Lord, take away jobs, take away prosperity, take away our our possessions. Do whatever you must that we might be satisfied in you. That we might be a people who are not caught off guard. When, the prom, when you, Lord, the promised king returns. But Lord, would we be celebratory? Would we be anticipatory? Would we be waiting? Would you find us waiting, living as a reflection, living as a, as a waiting people here and now? Oh God, would we delight in that day? Would we yearn for that day? You will make all things new. All wrongs will be righted. Many, Lord, stand in opposition to you. Here in our city, in our our country, and throughout the world, many stand opposed to you. And Lord, we acknowledge that they will will not be able to stand opposed to you forever. But one day, every every knee will bow before you, Lord. King Jesus, every knee will bow. Would we exhibit such here and now? Lord, would our service, would our worship, would our offerings before you, would they bring glory to your name? Would they make much, Lord, would our lives make much of you? Would we make much of you and then die and be forgotten? Knowing, Lord, that we will never be forgotten by you. Thank you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for your love. And thank you that you are a good king. We have have very few of those. We have none, Lord, that compare to you. Not even close. You are a good promised king. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We pray these things in your good name. Amen.